So today we are in the book of, back in the book of Acts. Uh, a couple weeks ago, just for a little refresher course. Oh, wait a second. Okay. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we started the book of Acts. We're going to be there for several weeks. Uh, it's a book that I think you will enjoy. I feel like it's going to be very applicable for what we are going through as a Christian people. Because when we look forward and we see that uh, we need to choose God over what man says, that might be something that it hits exactly when we need it in life. But for now, we just we just started the book of Acts, and we uh, we looked and we saw that a guy by the name of Luke wrote the book of Luke, and he also wrote the book of Acts to a guy by the name of Theophilus. And he says in the in in the, the book of Luke, he says, I wrote all about what Jesus began to do and to teach. And so as he's writing the book of Acts, he's getting the rest of the story, the continuation of what did God's people do with the message that they heard. And from that we learned that Jesus really did live, he really did, and he really did teach. I mean, he really did die, he really did rise again, and Jesus is really coming back. And if that is the case, then we better live our lives accordingly. Not just taking this as some guy getting up on Sunday to preach a word, not as a bedtime story, but this is the living and active word of God that we better make sure that we are following. The, the, the next one we looked at, we looked at uh, one of the most famous verses in the Bible about Acts chapter 1 verse 8. About Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we saw that, you know what, we may not go anywhere. We may not go to the ends of the earth. But we have people in our lives that fit as our Jerusalem, our comfort zone, our Samaria, people, our Jerusalem, our Judea, who are a lot like us that we may not know, to our Samaria, the people that we don't even like, to the ends of the earth, to the people that we don't even know. And today we find the disciples waiting for that to happen, for this gifting of the Holy Spirit. And it's kind of like a lull. It's kind of like a waiting period between here's the promise that we looked at and here's when it's going to be fulfilled, which next week we're going to see. And what I want to point out today is what did the disciples do during that wedding period? They had three different disciplines, and that's what we're going to be looking at. Uh, but before we do, I really would like to ask God's uh, blessing on his word again. Thank you, God, for your word. God, I, am, I do appreciate what you have taught me and what you have worked on in my life through this passage. And even before today, I feel like you started working on me through some of these things. Let us, God, be encouraged to live, live for your word, and to love you in spite of everything that we've going on. Again, give me your words to say, God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So how many people here are big fans of patience? A big fan of waiting for something to take place. We don't like waiting on people. You know, the only person who might like waiting on people is Brad Paisley, singing that song, Waiting on a Woman. Right? Make some money off of it. You might like waiting on pe uh, people. Uh, how many people like waiting on events? We don't. Uh, we don't like waiting until Christmas before we get a present. We don't like waiting until payday to buy something. We don't want what, like waiting until the, the right age to get a driver's license, which I think, is that 15 and a half in Montana? Or is it 16? Where you can actually legally be a, a driver by yourself? 16? Is it 16? But we don't want to wait until we're 16, but we understand that. Because that's what's already been set in place. Even waiting on a woman, you know that at some point of that night, it's going to happen. You know how many days it is till Christmas. You can figure out how many days till payday. Uh, but waiting is hard. And even when we know when the, what's coming, it's hard to wait. How much harder is it to wait on God? Because God doesn't give us deadlines. 
God doesn't give us dates. He doesn't say specifics of when this is going to happen, where it's going to happen, or when it's going to take place. And as we're waiting on God, it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to run ahead of God and do our own thing. And think that, okay, I waited enough time. Now it must be my time to do something. Today we're going to look at the three things the disciples did where they were waiting. And most of the time when we talk about the disciples, we talk about what they did wrong. Right? Peter sticking his foot in his mouth, the disciples running away, Thomas being a doubting disciple. But today we look at one of those times where the disciples did the right thing during that waiting period uh, before the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they did whatever that meant, because they don't know at that point. So the first thing we're going to look at is they had the discipline of prayer, then the discipline of obedience, and then they had the discipline of focus. Now we talk about discipline, kids, you're all familiar with discipline, right? Getting a punishment because you did not disobey. We're not talking about that kind of discipline. We're talking about a discipline that is an orderly or prescribed conduct of pattern or behavior. This is something that you are expected to do. That's the kind of discipline this is. The first discipline is the discipline of prayer. Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city, which is about three-quarters of a mile. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. Anybody know who's missing from that list? Judas is scary because he has already uh, committed suicide and he is done. We'll look at him here in a minute. It says in verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. We have the disciples who are praying. They're waiting on God, and they don't know what's coming, but they say we are going to pray. Now, there's two aspects to this prayer. They're highlighted as to how the disciples prayed. Uh, the first is that they prayed corporately, which means they prayed together. Who's involved in this? Well, first you have 11 disciples. They should be there, right? Because they're expecting Jesus, or they're expecting the Holy Spirit to come upon them at some point, and something is going to take place. They don't know what, they don't know when, but they are praying and saying, okay, God, we are ready uh, to accomplish whatever it is that you want to accomplish through us. But who else is there? You have the women there. Who are these women? These are the women who have been with Jesus and his disciples the whole time. At one point, they were financially supporting the disciples as they went out and they shared uh, the, the gospel of Jesus. They were the ones who went to the tomb because they wanted to anoint Jesus' dead body because they expected him to be there. And the, one of the beautiful things about this is they were considered a lower class. You've got the religious 11 disciples who should be there, and then you have the lower class of women during that time who were there praying with them. There was no separation. They said, hey, let's get everybody together and let's do this. But then you find something interesting. Uh, you find the family of Jesus there. Now, if you don't know anything about Jesus' family, you might say, well, duh, why wouldn't they be there? Because this is Jesus' family. But from the get-go, Jesus' family was not very excited about what he did. Uh, in Mark chapter 3, verses 20, or verse 21, it says, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. 
Jesus had just chosen his 12 disciples, and now he was going farther with this. He, he was starting, he was in a house, he's starting to teach the people, and his family's like, wait a second, okay, you've done enough, Jesus, okay? You might be whatever you say you are, but you have gone far enough. And now look at them. Where are they at? They didn't say, good riddance, Jesus. They didn't say, that's exactly what you deserve. They said, hey, there's something to this. We want to be a part of this as well. And there's strong evidence that proves that James, the brother of Jesus, was the guy who wrote the book of James. He went from being a doubter of Jesus to being, okay, I'm going to pray with all these disciples about what God wants to do to where I'm going to take this and I'm going to share it. He's a guy who became one of the pillars, maybe one of the deacons of the, the church in Jerusalem. From a nothing to one of the main focuses of the Jerusalem church. That's amazing. With prayer works, lives can be changed. So they prayed together corporately. Obviously, everybody's together. But they prayed together constantly. They were constantly in prayer. Now Jesus was with the disciples for 40 days after he had risen from the dead. The Holy Spirit came 10 days later on the day of Pentecost. So that means how many days were they constantly praying together? For 10 days, right? Because Jesus was gone after day 40. Day 50 was when the Holy Spirit came. So for 10 days, they joined together constantly and corporately in prayer. 10 days in a row. They didn't have time to make this a weekly prayer meeting. Right? You, would have got, you could have prayed twice, like every Monday, and that's it. They said, we're going to do this every day because this is a big enough issue. But they didn't know it was going to be 10 days worth of prayer. It could have been 10 years for all they knew. But they said, this is a big enough deal. We're going to get together and pray for whatever it is that God wants us to do. And we find that in verses 24 and 25 that they prayed and they, they acted uh, based off of their prayer. Verses 24 and 25, it says, Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry with Judas, which Judas left to go where he belonged. They were going to replace Judas. Did they say, let's take a vote on this? They said, no. We are going to pray and see who is it that God wants us to pick to replace Judas. And they did it during that time where they were constantly and corporately praying together. The discipline of prayer. The disciples got it right. Guess what God wants for you and for me? He wants us to have the discipline of prayer. Uh, we, uh, the first thing I think is a good idea is to pray corporately. That means where you have at least two people, where two or more are gathered, is called corporate prayer. Uh, my wife and I have been doing this uh, for about three weeks, uh, praying together. We have a spot in our bedroom where we go every single night, and before we go to bed, we, we get on our knees and we pray. And we pray for our country. We pray for you. We pray for our family. We pray for whatever prayer requests there are that come our way. Now, I'm not telling you that to say, oh, wow, Josh, you're, you're kind of prideful there. <laughs> because we've been married for almost 18 years. Guess how well we've done for almost 18 years? We have, I've stunk at it, okay? Leslie's one who likes to pray together. I'm the one who's always, okay, I'll do it hit and miss kind of time. I'm not saying, I'm just saying that we started to do this. This is something that you can do as a spouse. 
with your spouses is to pray corporately. Pray for our church. Pray for our nation. Pray for your kids. Pray for your grandkids. But pray together with somebody. Kids, you don't have to wait for mom and dad to pray with you. You can pray with your brother. You can pray with your sister. Before you go to bed, before you go to school, before a meal, do something, pray together. We can pray together as families. We do that from time to time. Something comes up, we'll get together as a family and we'll pray. Uh, we can pray together as a church. Uh, the last two weeks, we met right here. And this is where I, Todd said I'd explain to, kind of explain a little bit because I, I mentioned that. But we prayed right here. The first week, we prayed for our nation. Last week, we prayed for the unborn. We as a church can get together and pray anytime about anything. You know, the first time we ever did this, we prayed together. I think it was like a year and a half ago or something. Paula came up to me and said, hey, we, President Trump wants to do a National Day of Prayer. Can we pray? And, I, and so guess what we did? We didn't have some big awkward experience. We prayed. And it's, it's all it takes. If you say, hey, Josh, today I want to pray for the unborn, I will mention it and we'll pray. You want to pray for salvation? We can meet here and pray. We want to pray for uh, this guy I forgot to pray about, um, this, this boy's family who passed away, and for Ashley. You tell me we can pray. Everybody else wants to leave. They can leave. But we can pray together. Paula suggested it. Two weeks ago when we prayed for our nation, guess who suggested it? It wasn't my idea. It was Leslie's idea. We should pray for our nation. So anytime you get a hankering, I want to pray with people, let's do it together. We can do it here at church. And we need to pray together constantly. Not just a one and done kind of prayer. Uh, there's this quote I came across uh, that's in your bulletin by R. Kent Hughes. says, prayer, a hurried request soon forgotten and unrepeated will produce no fruit. There are times when you can get away with right before a test, God, please help me pass this test, or I'm going to go talk to somebody, please help them to be receptive to the gospel. But more often than not, we have time where we can pray repeatedly, we can pray constantly with other people for something. The disciples, they prayed for 10 days in a row, and God did something amazing through that. They had no idea what that was going to mean, what that was going to accomplish. And from that point on, they were off and running. Does anybody here wonder what could happen in Plevna or Baker or in this church if we joined together constantly and corporately in prayer? I do. I admit it. I, I really wonder what God might do if we did it. Even if it's just once a week we said, hey, we are going to get together and prove to God how much we care about this, and we pray. You know, perhaps that person that you've been praying for years upon years by yourself to come to know the Lord might get saved if we pray together corporately and constantly. Or maybe uh, praying together would bring the revival to our towns that we want to see. Or possibly every ailing person, everybody with some kind of issue in our church would be healed if we would pray together corporately, together. And we were constantly doing this kind of thing. We don't know what God would do, but we can find out if you're interested. And I know it's quite a commitment to, to have a prayer meeting, um, to, to, to make a commitment to do this once a week or twice a week or, or whatever the case may be, because I know we have lots going on in our, our little town. There's, there's sports, there's work, there's family, there's vacations, there's all sorts of things that we have. 
But I think God would work in a special way if we were willing to commit to that. And if you're one of those people who says, you know what, I'd like to see what God would do. Uh, I would, I would, if you're willing to host it at your house, or if you're willing to host it here, I promise you, Leslie and I will be there on your doorstep to pray every single whatever that is. I mean, I can't promise Leslie because sometimes she's not feeling good in Maui, but I promise I will be there every single time if we do this. We could advertise it in the church email. We could put it in the bulletin. We could do word of mouth if you want to do this. We can pray together corporately, and we can pray together constantly. It doesn't have to be an all-night prayer meeting. It doesn't have, there doesn't have to be snacks. right? We don't have to have this huge agenda. Just pray. I know uh, we, we did a prayer meeting when we first got here. Uh, it was like a couple months after we first came, and I remember Jerry Brown coming. And he was the only one who ever came, which is fine. But we, we prayed, and after the first meeting, he says, because we didn't know. I never led a prayer meeting before. And so we just came up with the best way we thought how to do this. And we just went topic by topic by topic. And he says, normally when you do a prayer meeting, you just pray. Everybody just kind of takes turns praying about whatever they want to pray. And, and so it does, that's how it can be. It doesn't have to be this huge deal. It can be like 10 minutes if we want to do this. So if you want to, let me know. We will advertise it. We can try to get people to your house to pray. So discipline number one is what? Prayer. Discipline number one is prayer. Discipline number two is obedience. Acts chapter 1, verses 21 to 26. Peter says, Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these men must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two men. Joseph called Barsabas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belonged. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleventh apostle. So why did the disciples do this? Was it because they wanted to keep that same round special number of 12? No. You read in verse 20, they were fulfilling scripture. It says, Peter says, it is written in the book of Psalms. May his place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell on it. And then again in Psalms, it says, may another take his place of leadership. This was a very small, a very simple step of obedience. They prayed and then they obeyed. They did exactly what it was that they were supposed to do at that time. And it might seem like a minor thing, but it was exactly what they were supposed to do. The discipline of obedience is something that we are called to do as well. While we're praying, while we're waiting for God to answer a prayer, what are we supposed to do? We are supposed to act on what we already know that we are supposed to do. It might be something as as simple as removing a sin from our lives. And you know what kind of sins you have. I know what kind of sins I have. It might be a relationship that you're involved in that you should not be involved in. It might be a website that you frequent that you know you shouldn't go. It might be a word in your vocabulary that should not be there. It's a very small step of obedience, but it is a step of obedience. It might be 
uh, obeying a call from God to do something that's not specifically stated in Scripture. You think about the gal who went to China who is uh, smuggling Bibles into China. You, anybody ever read that in Scripture before? Some girl is supposed to go to China and do this? No. But she went because she knew that's what God wanted her to do. That's a big step of obedience, right? She's risking life and limb to go and do that. And God might be saying, that's what I want you to do. He might give you something specific to do. And God's calling you to have that step of obedience even while you're praying for something else to take place. It might just be some good old-fashioned, I'm going to read my Bible and do what it says. I'm going to love my enemy. I'm going to pray for those who persecute me. I'm going to pray for those in authority over me. I'm, I'm going to uh, show up to church because that's what I'm called to do. Just good old-fashioned, read it and obey it. I'm praying for God to do something big, and while I'm waiting, I'm obeying what I know that I'm already supposed to do. And obedience is definitely a discipline. It's something that I have to force myself to do sometimes. Because sometimes God gives us assignments that we don't like to do. i got to get out of my comfort zone and do what? Sometimes the timing is terrible. Wait a second, God, i got this going on in life, and you want me to stop and go do that? Uh, sometimes it's a challenge to do something I've never done before. Right? But it take, that's why it takes a discipline of obedience. It's saying, okay, God, I'm still praying for that, but you want me to do that now? I'm going to go and do that. And I think you can probably figure out an example in your life or some example of, of somebody having to do that where they said, okay, not my will to be done, but your will be done, and I'm going to go and do this. So discipline number one was prayer. What was number one? Discipline number two was Obedience. These guys are, are doing this, and they're doing this well. Discipline number three is focus. The discipline number three that the disciples had through all of this is focus. Verses 16 and 17. Er, it says, In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled with the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David, concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the wickedness he bought, with the, with the reward for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, and his body burst open, and all his intestines filled, uh, spilled out. The disciples had lots of reasons to be distracted right now. Okay. Lots of reasons to be distracted. Um, we have Judas. He was a major distraction because what did he just recently do? He just betrayed Jesus. Judas was, and scripture fulfilled, uh, but, but Judas was paid 30 pieces of silver uh, to go and betray Jesus when the time was right. Judas finally does betray Jesus with a kiss. And then Jesus, you find in Matthew chapter 27, that he went and hung himself, and they used that money to buy his field. That's still fresh in the back of their mind that Judas did this. That, is a, that could be a major distraction. You know, think about uh, this guy, Judas, had been with Jesus for three years. He was handpicked by Jesus. And look what Judas did. Now, I start to wonder if I'm the disciples, who's next? Who here else is a phony? Who else here is going to, to, be, to, to falter when time comes? Think about Peter. Peter denied Jesus three times. Is, is Peter going to have the, the guts 
The next time he has to stand up for Jesus, is he going to take it? Or is he going to run away again? Thomas, what about him? Thomas was a doubter. Uh, is he going to believe the next time his faith is challenged? The, all the disciples who ran away when Jesus was captured, are they going to run away or are they going to stay and stand the ground? And so they can easily look at each other and say, you know what, who's the next Judas? Who's the next person who's going to, um, who's, who's not going to stand? Who's going to turn us all in after Judas just turned Jesus in? They could have easily been distracted by that. A guy by the name of Justice, he could have been distracting. We find in verses 23 through 26 that he was one of two men who were chosen to replace Judas. Now, out of, out of all, it's not a huge pool to choose from because they were looking for people who were there from the very beginning and who were through the whole process, through the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And there's, there's two different guys that were picked. Now, imagine you're one of those two people and look at this as an honor that I want to be one of Jesus' disciples and I did not get picked. That, that could be a very bumming thing, right? There's two people who want to be the president of a company or the vice president who wants the promotion. Sorry, you didn't get this, but you got this. Now, all of a sudden, how do you think this guy is feeling? He's probably feeling like, wait a second, are you sure we get a recount? You know, can we redo this thing? I, I don't, I'm not sure I got a fair shake. And I bet there were a lot of people who looked and said, I think justice would have been better than that. Because I, I know things about him that you don't know. And it could have been a major distraction. And all those people could have left and said, you know what, you guys picked the wrong guy. I'm leaving. It could have been a distraction, but all these people said, you know what, I'm going to put whatever differences I have aside, and I'm going to get together and pray corporately and constantly with you. But they were not allowed, they did not allow the distractions to stop them. And the disciples had huge reasons to be distracted. And guess what? When we're trying to follow Jesus, when we're trying to wait for Jesus to do what we're asking him to do, we have lots of distractions that might keep us from hanging in, from staying in the game. Uh, one of those things might be an unanswered prayer. Um, because God's not answering what I, what I want, when I want him to. I'm just going to beg God, beg it, like forget it, and I'm going to go answer my prayer on my own. Or I'm just going to give up on God because I know God has power. I mean, God has power to make the, the dead live, right? God has power to do anything that he's not doing it. People say, you know what? I'm done with God. And that's one of the most popular reasons people have for leaving God. Because he is not doing what I want him to do when I want him to do it. Another distraction. The modern day Judas. Uh, profess, professing Christians who let you down. Anybody ever hear of a pastor who had an affair? And what that... Um, my friend Philip, who became the pastor of a church in Spokane, that's the church he went to. Two or three years ago, the pastor had an affair, and a lot of people said, you know what, that pastor screwed up. I'm done with this Jesus thing because obviously he didn't believe it. Now, in his defense, he's a human like everybody else. He still has temptations. He still should not have done that. But people will use that as an excuse to say, no, thank you. I don't want God anymore because of that. Anybody have anybody be rude to them at church? People going to a church and say, I'm not going to it. If those church people are rude, I don't want anything to do with their God. Uh, being, I can tell you from experience that I've had my pe preaching picked on. And I can, I can say, you know what, I'm done with this. I don't want, I don't want this. I know there was, I knew every Sunday in, in Davenport, there was this guy 
who, when I would give the gospel, I could just punch him in the mouth. He would come through, the, we'd have like a, a couple people standing there to shake people's hands, and every time he came through, he picked on it. Because I didn't say every possible aspect about the gospel, which could take a whole message every single time. And I just got madder and madder at this guy, and I could have said, you know what, I'm not doing this anymore because this person won't shut the mouth. Well, what about the, uh, the, the fact that Christians in general are hypocritical? We don't all practice what we preach. We don't always respond the right way. And people will say, because of that, I'm not going to follow their Jesus because they're not perfect like they should be. They're not human anymore, I guess. I don't know. But people will use that as an excuse. And whatever excuses people have, uh, I want to encourage us to remember, maybe even say, verse uh, Hebrews 10.25, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Don't let whatever somebody else does stop you. Instead, it says, let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. That's what we should be doing is encouraging each other. Uh, the verses before that says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Instead of getting caught up in what everybody else is doing, that's exactly what we should be doing is encouraging and supporting each other. So distractions, we can have unanswered prayers, we can have the modern day Judas, but we also can see the increase of wickedness. Uh, Matthew 24, 12 says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most is going to grow cold. We see the Christians being persecuted around the world, and God's not doing anything. At least he's not doing what we want him doing. And people could say, you know what, I don't want any part of that, because that's where it's going to lead. Uh-uh. We see crimes going unpunished. We see cheaters who prosper. And we can say, I'm distracted by what is going on out there, whatever that is out there, that I'm not keeping my focus on God and I'm not going to keep trusting God. Psalms 37, verse 7 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Don't get caught up. Don't get bogged down. And because of that, if we keep our eyes on our circumstances, which is a human natural thing to do, we are going to constantly worry. We're going to constantly have stress and try to figure it out. And I will admit that from experience. If we keep our focus on people, they are going to let us down. And I want to encourage you, don't put your eyes on people. They, will, they, they, they can't. It cannot live up to your expectations. God is not going to give us a free pass. You know, people have left churches because of unanswered prayer. People have left churches because some pastor had an affair or people have been rude. People have left churches for any number of things. Those people do not get a free pass. They are going to stand before God and if they say, God, I walked away from you because of what pastor so-and-so did, that's not going to hold water. And don't be one of those people who lets anything else going out there stop you from trusting Jesus, to stop you from walking with him day by day. Keep your focus on, on, on Jesus while you're waiting for, for him to answer your prayers. We need to keep these three disciplines in the forefront of our brain. We need to pray because Jesus is the only one who can help us. You can't help me. I can't help you, Jesus is the only one who can help me. We need to be obedient anyway. 
whether we get our prayers answered or not. Not, be, not, not to try to get our prayer answered, but because it's the right thing to do. And we need to keep our focus on Jesus while we are waiting. As you guys leave church, and maybe you've noticed it already, unless they had made the bill the board or whatever it says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And we're going to close with that song here in a couple minutes. To turn your eyes upon Jesus. Don't get distracted by everything else going on around in the world while you're waiting for God to do whatever it is that you're asking Him to do. Keep praying. Keep being obedient to what you know you're supposed to do. And keep your focus on Him and not on your problem. Waiting is a tough game to play. We all want to know the end, how it's going to turn out. We want to know when God's going to answer a prayer. If He's going to answer it the way that we want to. How... Uh, but God doesn't want us to worry about the outcome. He wants us to trust Him and keep our focus on Him. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face, and the things of this earth are going to grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. God is good. God is in charge. Uh, God's got this. Trust Him for the outcome. Let's pray. Father God, I thank You for the disciples. God, I know they were men just like us that they struggled with the same kinds of things that we struggled with. But God, here we find them succeeding. They have, they're having faith. They're joining together to pray corporately and constantly for you to do what it is that you want to do. And God, while they're waiting, they're being obedient. And God, they're keeping their focus on you instead of on each other and on their circumstances. God, may we be the same kind of people. God, I just pray that we would, uh, we would pray with whoever we can pray with. That we would be obedient to whatever it is that you're asking us to do. We keep our focus on you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.